0: Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the 20 Nothing Podcast. I'm your host, Kiara Blanchette, and on today's episode, we have the inimitable Kate Glavin, who is someone who I discovered on Instagram pretty recently through some mutual friends of ours, and she posts these really insightful Instagram stories where she talks about politics, and she does it through the lens and perspective of a young 20-something who is living in New York City. I think that's a lens that we don't often get to see politics through, especially to see young women who are openly talking about politics and helping to keep people informed. And she also has a newsletter that I've like, really started to enjoy where she compiles resources and podcasts and articles and things that she's been interested in that that relate to politics and what's currently relevant. And so I thought that was really interesting. Haven't really seen other people who are doing it in the way that she does it. And that made me so interested and I felt like I had to have her on the podcast because I feel like these are really important conversations that we should be having about politics, about current affairs. And we talked about everything that's currently happening with coronavirus. We talked about how to get into politics if you, are, if you don't know where to start, how to find areas of interest and issues that are of concern to you and so on and so forth. And so I thought this was a really interesting episode and also I wanted to note that And also, I wanted to note that this was recorded a couple of weeks ago, and obviously politics is something that by nature is very volatile and ever-changing. And so some of the things that we talked about or some of the things that she mentions in particular in terms of timing have obviously come to evolve over the past two weeks, but I believe that the essence of what she said throughout the episode is evergreen and can be enjoyed at any point in time and is withstanding. So without further ado, let's get into the episode.
1: Thank you for having me on. It's very exciting I think to have this conversation as we were speaking about. A time like now, I think people are looking for politics or I think are more engaged when they are social distancing and isolating and quarantine, people are the news is changing so rapidly. It's a little background about me. My name's Kate. I am in school at New York University, so I'm a senior, which is weird to say. I'm graduating this December. You know, if graduation goes on as scheduled and everything, who knows. <laughs> I am studying. I'm in a school at NYU where you get to make your own major, which has been really exciting. So it's called the Gallatin School of Individualized Study. Everyone there is on their own track and you get to decide like what goes on your degree, basically, which is really cool to have that academic freedom. It's a pretty small school, which I like as well. So there's a lot of advising that goes on like career help and all that stuff, which is awesome. So I came to NYU and I was really interested in journalism and fashion. I worked in fashion for my first year of school. Didn't really love it. I feel like it, the conversations I was having with people at work and in class, I was really interested in what was happening in politics. I found myself always like drawing back to that, even when I was working in something that felt so isolated from it, um, something like fashion, where I felt like okay, maybe if this is all about consumption and consumerism, maybe this is producing some of the bad effects that I don't like align with personally or like politically. It's like, I'm, I don't want everyone to just be like consuming and consuming clothing all this time and not focused on like higher order concerns of society. And so from there, my sophomore year, I went to go work at the National Organization for Women. So that was a lot of women's rights, reproductive policy, which was really cool. And it opened my eyes to, I think, New York politics. So I'm from Minnesota originally. And I think back home, I had a pretty good idea of all the senators, politicians, like interest groups that were really important and the issues there. And then I think moving to college in New York, you know, you have really no connections to the world around you whether that be like socially or community organizations and whatnot, especially with it being such a diverse city too. Like there's so many issues politically that are around you. And so that was a, that internship was a good introduction into like all of the the big parts, I think of New York city that I wasn't really thinking about. And from there, I found myself that I wanted to be focusing on something that was broader than just one one isolated um, policy area which was focusing a lot on like abortion reproductive policy which I'm still very interested about but I wanted to focus on something more holistic like political engagement at large how can we you know change the status quo narrative and that's when I found that like seeking sort of I guess like validation and like working in a system only works so far and I felt like I needed to do some things for myself creatively politically and the first instinct I had, since I like in high school, I ran like a fashion blog and I'd write, you know, like little things and whatnot. I was writing for Manor Peller in high school too, which was really awesome. I took, I got back into writing for like personal reasons. I started blogging again and I really wanted to think about how do I bring the news to my friends that are mostly interested in fashion and that, because like most of my friends were, you know, studying that or working in the industry and whatnot and make it digestible to them. Because... I mean, I'm very interested in like the nerdy, like Politico, like hot takes about like all the insider drama, but that's, once again, that's not really like useful for everyone's everyday life. And also, it's hard to navigate a lot of things that are happening politically. I think people, there are headlines about Trump tweeted this. Let's go outrage. But there is a lot of stuff done under the surface, whether it be like administratively in the court system. There's just a lot of ways that I think politics is hard to access. And I think I realize that with young people specifically too that the way that we share news is not what our parents were doing and there's a lot of pushback to like slacktivism culture which is basically just like sharing articles on your Instagram or something and then doing nothing about it like it's a very it's like virtue signaling where you know you're doing a greater good it looks like you're doing something but in reality that work is futile doesn't create any new um, outcomes for people and so that's kind of where my newsletter started. I wanted to bridge that gap between an accessibility to politics, but also not making it too wonky and like too difficult for people to access. Um, so I'm working on that while I'm in school. And then I'm working as a research assistant to a startup called Super System. So we are making .gov sites easier to access, making them all like in one streamlined platform, which is really awesome. And then doing research at like NYU Law with a professor as well. I've been feeling like isolation has been like kind of helpful in that sense of being able to like make lists of all the things I need to do and having that downtime, I think, has been really beneficial.
0: How do you manage like not being overwhelmed by the news cycle? Because that's, it's a lot.
1: Yeah, for me, I think I'm a very... I digest a lot of news. So I I start my day off usually listening to a few podcasts like daily news podcasts, which I think a lot of people do, you know, when you're, like, making coffee or whatnot. I find myself that my classwork is not really involved with, like, what's happening in the news, but it's more, like, theory on politics, which I really like as a compliment. I think that's how it helps shape my worldview to apply it to, like, what's happening now. So, like, right now in one of my classes all the readings were about like disaster capitalism and then another one of my classes was all we were reading about Foucault's like discipline and punishment which is a lot about how we it's about like isolation and kind of methods of society that regulate us and it's really interesting to read in the light of quarantine because we're all like self-disciplining and it's been put on us to like follow these guidelines and whatnot So I think my, I like read a lot of news and try to involve myself in that. And for me, I think sharing and like communicating with others about it is one thing that kind of gets my mind off of it. I think if I was sitting alone and like constantly spinning in my own thoughts about politics, it'd be so overwhelming because you don't really have anyone to like, give off of or like speak to and so that's why I think like social media and like my blog specifically really helped me because I feel like there's an audience that I'm reaching and if it's like one or two people great maybe I'm registering like five people to vote that's awesome but I think having some sort of like feedback is really helpful to like help with my own understanding of the world and like where other people are coming at it to make it like not so isolated like you're sitting in your room panicking about the world, but like everyone else is kind of panicking too and we're all working through it together.
0: And I mean, it's interesting because you, like you said, you have that like added level of, I guess, trying to like take context from what you're learning in your classes and, and relate it to the news cycle. I guess I'm curious about how you feel the average person is, is interpreting the news or is internalizing it without Mm -hmm. that context
1: yeah I think it's difficult to know what's gonna happen if you don't have any like history of what has happened and I think that's one area where I've pushed myself to do more reading and research I think when Trump got elected a lot of people kind of went to that fanfare of like we have a dictator in this country like all of our laws are outdated and are not like outdated but like completely overthrown we're just gonna see a systemic like overhaul of everything like normalcy ah and At that time i think it was really critical for me to look to people that were writing about like this is not uniquely american like we have had decades of like oppressive regimes and like it frankly i mean the election woke up white people to a lot of their privilege that like trump was appalling to them for a lot of what he was doing on the face like his tweets and his comment about comments about women and muslims and everything but the policies that have been undergirding his presidency and like the disgusting things we're seeing at the border. Like we had slavery in this country. And I think there's a lot of ways which a historical context for what's happening now is helpful. I think I've also pushed myself to do a lot more reading on capitalism and just like globalism as well. Um, One author that I recommend people a lot, Naomi Klein, she does a lot of writing on how to think about systems. And I think that's one helpful thing to think about politics because we're often so individually focused I think we're ingrained that like thinking about our impact thinking about us registering to vote and while that's helpful to a degree I talk about this a lot in the lens of consumerism and like environmentalism whether you you know choose to purchase things in plastic or not does make an impact it does invigorate I think a consciousness of like the people in your life that are seeing you make those choices but if you're not taking collective action to Think about the broader systems that you're in place, like those are going to play in the background. Like the fossil fuel industry is going to play in the background while you are like tinkering about light bulbs. There's a really good piece by Martin Lucas in The Guardian about like while you sit and freak out about like your shower times and all this stuff, like systemically, there are like 10 people that are controlling a lot of the wealth that goes into like the energy consumption in this country. So I think that's one way to help scale what's happening on, on such a global level when people feel very
0: powerless. And where do you feel political literacy starts in the everyday average citizen?
1: I think it's getting a familiarity with a news source that you like. For me, when I would, you know, I think the kind of, the idea of like, Reading the news is sitting down with a newspaper, which is, like, very outdated for all of us who are sitting on our phones all day. I think there are many ways to go about it. I love podcasts. I think it's a very interesting way to feel like you're having a conversation with someone. And a lot of times, like, the podcast I listen to will share articles and sources in the description so if you want like further reading i find it like a really nice way to do so for me one of my favorite news sources is vox so it launched with the idea of like explaining the news and it's kind of like a nerdy way to like explain very minute things they make really helpful like five to seven minute like explainer things on something like what's a deficit whereas something like i could not explain like what a really like what the federal deficit is And so it has very tailored things and then they also have like a daily news podcast they have one about policy in the united states and then like ezra klein who was one of the co-founders has his own podcast which i share a lot and he has different like thinkers people who think about like democracy what does it mean for us to act collectively like how could we envision a green new deal and so that's one way that i think um, my news consumption works is like finding the news sources that you relate to because I don't know. I was reading like the New York times and just kind of browsing on random articles for a while. And I was like, I'm not getting that much. I think I know, or like reading CNN or like I came from, you know, like I think Pimmel's parents watch cable news. I don't have access to cable now, but growing up in high school and just like turning on, you know, cable news that has a like, breaking news like high runs all over the screen it's like very disorienting because you're not reading about things that might be of more interest to you I think it's important to know like what Trump's tweeting but it's also important to know like hey let's go look at like what the EPA is doing as well so I think for me it's kind of disengaging to watch that so much of that like Trump just tweeted this or look at this flashy thing that one celebrity did. There's this fight. Cable news is run by monetary incentive. And so I think you're not getting a lot of politics that could be more interesting to people and could bring more people to like want to involve themselves in politics if they knew that something was happening in their community or like affecting a community that they are in contact with.
0: Yeah, rather than the focus on like sensationalism.
1: That as well, like you really can't do anything about such like high level federal policy things. And so whenever you focus more on what's happening locally, I think also people, local news is like, local journalism and local news is something that people really need to think about. And I've been wanting to restructure my media diet to think as less about like what's happening in DC that I can't control. And then like what's happening in my borough in New York and supporting local journalists in that way because with the, like the intense monetary, just like how much money cable news has it's, sh- it's shutting local news out of business. And so I think when people are able to support, you know, subscribe to your local newspaper, people will spend, you know, like $5 a month on Spotify for students. You can support local journalism for like $10 a month, which is something that I think people should start doing.
0: Do you feel like that disconnect of feeling like you, you can't have an impact on, on policy or the movement of the way things are going makes people less politically active overall?
1: yeah I think so and I think like for me when I first like wanted to you know the big kind of like misnomer is like let's get involved in politics which I think is very um scary and very difficult there's no really like entry point and like that's where I struggle a lot with politics because it's like okay I can register people to vote but what else can I do but there are like minute ways I think to share news and I think right now especially with isolation we're realizing that there are ways to impact, you know, your community that are, like, way, way more important than some, like, registering people to vote or donating $10 to an organization that exists in D.C. Those are great gestures, but you might not feel like you are really seeing, like, the tangible results, if that makes sense. Um, I've, like, donated to the Bernie Sanders campaign many times, but it's like i don't know exactly i don't i mean i don't really care where my money's going but like you don't you know you're not touching people's lives and i've i felt like more meaningful doing phone banking for bernie sanders for example because you're talking to real people and i think young people especially people in college too i was thinking about this a lot with isolation because my parents were talking to me like if something happened to you and you're alone in new york like do you have any adults there you could go to if you needed like if you had the flu or something like that and i was really thinking like there are a lot of young people that are probably living in big cities, do not have access to their family and like no communitarian mindset. My mom's like, do you know the guy that works at the bodega underneath your apartment? Do you know the guy that works at the coffee shop across the street? Do you know the person who delivers your UPS packages? And that kind of reshifted my mindset. Like, holy shit, young people now are, we're connected on our phones, I think, to people our age group that are interested in a lot of the same things, but we don't really have a relationship with our direct community we're living in, which is difficult. And I think social media has made it easier to not care about those type of people because you, you have your own community, whereas like our parents, you know, were are really involved with people on their corner and whatnot.
0: And I mean, how do you feel we can create an environment that fosters people to be more to be more politically active
1: i think find an interest area that you like whether that be environmental issues whether that be prison reform like social justice issues gender issues i think if you're focusing on your attention in so many areas i think that's where it gets very draining to be the expert on every issue not even the expert but to like make phone book calls for every issue, to read the news on every issue, and you want to have a well-rounded news digest, but I know that for myself, the news that feels, or the issue area that feels most pressing to me is climate change, and so that's where I've tried to, tried to shift most of my organizing focus on. Um, Sunrise Movement in New York has a really great chapter. I think Well, it was in the fall. It was pretty, like, more active, obviously now. Physical protests. I think it's going to be interesting to see where this goes with the quarantine and self-isolation because people are not going to be able to meet with people in groups more than 10 people. So how that's going to impact, like, how nonprofits and, like, groups are organizing. But I think if you look at... Something in your area, like a nonprofit or even a chapter of a federal group, like Bernie Sanders, I know, has a New York City for students or has like different groups in each borough, and they used to meet at like bars and restaurants on like debate nights and stuff. So that can be a really awesome way to meet people who are similarly minded. Especially that are living in the same areas as you because they might have perspective on like, hey, did you hear about this eviction thing that's being passed around in the city? Or did you hear about this plastic bag ban that's happening in New York or something? So it's a way to be involved in like the macro political issue but also thinking about local issues that's been something that has opened my eyes up a lot as I've gone to different like organizing events in New York City just the experience of people who've been doing this work for 10 years is something that's really tantamount and I think all a lot of young people we have like this very like entrepreneurial like mindset like I'm gonna go start something and I think a lot of political advice I've gotten from people that are older is like Go support things that already exist. You know, there are people that have been doing work on climate change for like years and years. There are people that have been wanting to like close these private prisons and all this stuff for years. And I think getting a better digest of like what's, you know, like making a list of like what are the, who are the organizations I can support? Who can I make phone calls for? I think that's something that's helpful.
0: And I mean, I'm sure this is something that has kind of affected your process of thinking over the past little while, everything that's going on with coronavirus currently, and how that's affecting the election and the voting for the primaries, how are you managing that and keeping up with that?
1: I will say I have been a little bit tuned out in the past few days, just due to the fact that there hasn't been like a any sort of like that newsy newsiness about, you know, who's up in the exit polls, who's doing well in Florida, who's doing well in this state. Grantfully so there are bigger concerns. I have been interested in looking at the response between, you know, like the three people in the race, which are Trump, Biden and Bernie, how they are reacting to this. I think we see that like Trump is Showing that he disavowed science and he is not taking this crisis seriously. He's not listening to what experts say, which is creating like an exacerbated crisis in the States, which is very just disheartening to see because it's gonna, the impact will be felt on the most poor and burdensome communities and like marginalized communities it's been interesting for me i've been watching a lot of bernie sanders like live streams i think he's doing a great job of organizing and he had a phone call last night with rashida Tlaib and aoc were both on there and they've been talking about like what's happening in local communities which i think has been a really good way to scale the crisis like new york city is obviously feeling like the blunt of the hurt here um the hospitals are at over capacity already and we haven't even seen like peak of like the cases being confirmed yet so I've been interested in seeing Bernie's response and I think he's been calling to like the systemic change that I think people are finally realizing like we are in a collapse right now it's not something like we just have a republican president in there who's like fucking things up it's like no the ways that we relate to each other this insane work culture we don't have a social safety net in this country that's like propping people up I think people have really been thinking about politics in a broader context than just like who is the democrat that's gonna win the primary and stuff and Joe Biden has been like pretty silent since Super Tuesday I think I just saw something like this morning that he did a little bit of like a press stint but when you're looking for a leader in 2020 to like possibly I mean into November we're probably still going to be dealing with coronavirus or the aftermath and the, res- the aftermath and like the restructuring of the economy if people are being silent during this time like that's something that's just like really disheartening for me that like Biden has not been on the forefront like saying I'm gonna lead us out of this crisis here's what I think we need to do. And like, Trump's obviously, like, not saying anything great either, but I think that's where I've been, like, focusing on politics, but one way I've been kind of concerned about politics with Democratic primaries, we don't really know what's going to happen in terms of, like, how the next few states are going to vote, if it's going to go to a contested convention, which is basically where, like, delegates and party leaders and party elders, like, people who've been in the Democratic establishment for years, if they are going to make the decision because all of these states that haven't voted yet are not going to be able to have voting, Example: The Ohio governor went to the courts and he said, "Like, we can't have in-person voting. This is putting a risk to people over the age of 65 who are most vulnerable to the disease." And Tom Perez, who runs the DNC, did a little bit of like a pushback with that, kind of wanting people to turn out to vote, which I think is just really unsafe to like for the Democratic Party to push voting right now. Obviously, when people are not thinking about that, when there's like higher order needs of like staying alive and staying healthy. So I'm really interested to see like how the Democratic Party is going to pick their nominee also like thinking about November with the general election just how is this going to transform the way we vote I was thinking for my own example about like if I had to vote in the New York primary or even the general election if I wanted to mail in my ballot I don't I mean I'm someone who has enough money to survive I'm in an apartment I have a roof over my head everything so I'm in a certain group I'm in college right now and I don't have access to a printer. I don't know how I would print out a ballot. I could go buy a stamp or something, but I do not have access to that right now. And that's, like, coming from someone who, you know, once again has a house over their head and everything. So it's, like, the democracy I think we're seeing is in shambles when we are faced with such, like, a pervasive, insane humanitarian crisis. So... It's kind of weird to think that, like, there are bigger order concerns and, like, who's going to be the next president and, like, what American democracy looks like. But it's hard to scale that, I think, in relation to, like, the broader crisis. But I think the most important thing people can do is, like, think about who you want as a leader to, like, get us out of this and rebuild after.
0: Do you have concerns that the potential move towards getting away from in-person voting could really affect the, the turnout.
1: Yeah. In the states that voted last Tuesday, they said that a lot of people over the age of 65 turned out to the polls, and millennials and Gen Z and Gen X that could vote did not turn out. Bernie Sanders was already not likely to win some of these states, but they said in precincts where he was doing really well in more urban areas with diverse like coalitions, he saw a huge decrease in his polling numbers. And so it's kind of scary because it's like, once again, with the coronavirus of put on this we're really pinpointing like human psyche. Are people going to sacrifice their individual freedoms for a greater good? Or are people going to maybe be selfish and saying, well, I want my vote to matter. I'm going to go out there. I don't care if I get sick. I don't care if I infect other people around me. And I think that's, it's interesting because that's a huge ethos under Bernie Sanders campaign that you need to like care for the person that doesn't look like you. You need to care for your neighbor and whatnot. So I'm thinking that it's going to see a huge decrease in his voters, which is really scary. Also, I think a lot of people aren't talking about with, coronavirus is that there's a huge partisan divide on this. And something like a pandemic should not be partisan, but frankly it is. And I think people need to call a spade a spade. For example, there was a commentator on, there's a few this weekend, I was looking at some master reel of clips on Fox News. There was one that was encouraging people to go out and support your local businesses. This is the perfect time to go out and eat with your family at a restaurant. There is just a huge, the, the amount of polarization in this country is really scary because we all, we all create our own news sources. We live in echo chambers where we listen to what we want to listen to. And when there's half of the country that doesn't think this is a crisis, when the Florida governor did not check on beaches, and now they're seeing college kids getting coronavirus testing positive, we're going to see real effects. And it's going to it's going to show that, you know, like, red states versus blue states, there's going to be an increasingly amount of just, like, like, a divergence between, like, states that were taking preventative measures and states that weren't, and, like, what's that going to impact for, like, the public health outcome, how many people are dying, access to care. Also, in relation to climate change, like, we've seen huge action by, like, Governor Inslee in Washington on climate change in the state of Washington because he cares about the issue, whereas plenty of red states are, like, pumping money money into fossil fuel and oil. So it's just hard because we shouldn't live in a country where if you live in a red state, you know, you might have your healthcare taken away and you might have just like pollution in your backyard. You can't control your zip code. And so that's one thing I worry about, that there's gonna be half the country that, you know, listens to Trump and thinks this is a hoax and don't take it seriously and whatnot. And then there's gonna be half the country that is really taking preventative measures and that's only gonna go so far. I really wonder about that because We've seen in, like, countries like Italy that they are enforcing, like, fines and stuff if you're outside. And I don't want America to get to that point. But almost I think if we don't have such a strong, like, regulation in this country, I don't know if everyone is going to, like, participate in these measures. And I also think, like, I've seen a lot of very, like, optimistic, like, from people who are probably politically similar to me that are like more progressive and interested in these issues. A lot of people have said like, we're gonna come out of this so strong. Like everyone cares for each other now. Like we're gonna have a great, so like a socialist state. And I think people, once again, this is a time to read history. I think a good book that I currently have ordered is called Shock Doctrine by Naomi Klein. So she writes about like disaster capitalism which is basically how governments and global elite are going to exploit a pandemic. I think there is like a high-minded belief that create, you know, Medicare for all, we're going to care for our neighbor, but this is a time when there's going to be elite that wants to exploit your fears and wants to hoard resources and whatnot. It's scary to think that like there are two ways that a pandemic could diverge where we all become more communitarian or we all become more isolated and like Just it shows the haves and the have-nots and the rich and the poor in this country.
0: Do you think because the change in the news cycle and, and what is currently relevant will affect just even the spread of information in regards to the election overall?
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely going to dissuade, I think, younger people from taking action because there is that sense of like, legitimate powerlessness like i actually can't leave my home so like what am i gonna do i i mean i'm struggling with this too internally because there are some ways that i wanted to organize and wanted to i was thinking a lot about like voting this year like i wanted to do something to get more people voting and more people involved in like environmental nonprofits and so i think it's interesting that young people are really like put on the forefront of this crisis because if we turn out in droves I mean I don't know realistically what turnout's gonna look like if it means we all mail in our ballots or if like we actually can meet in groups of 10 people like once the election time comes but I think if young people keep reading and becoming more educated on the reasons that we're in this not the reasons we're in the pandemic but systemic failures i think people are going to be more encouraged to show up for a candidate like bernie sanders i think there's a huge opportunity for progressive reform coming out of this like people realizing that the reasons our healthcare system are failing and the reasons we do not have an adequate like emergency response are going to like screw us in the future when we see the first like climate disaster so i think it's an it's a very organic moment for progressive political change to happen but it's whether or not people i think at the end of this want to take action, feel empowered to take action, and also know the sources of, like, why we are all struggling. Um, Because everyone is struggling right now, different scales, different degrees, but everyone's dealing with that isolation, unease, like, I don't know what to do during this time. So I just hope that enough people, like, don't become apathetic towards politics, but get even more excited about the ways that it can restore hope in this country.
0: And have you noticed in just in the past few weeks, a trend in either which direction?
1: Yeah, I've seen a lot of people saying they're isolated, nervous, just like turning inwards, I can't read the news, it's too much. I mean, whenever people kind of say that, I think that's a very common thing. Like, I can't read the news, it's just too, it's too much for me. I think that's a really privileged thing, because if you're privileged enough to read about the most disturbing things that are happening, you are not experiencing them. I understand that there's not like an appetite to be in like doomsday all the time time the world's ending like 24 7 that's not healthy either I think you have to know your boundaries with like how much news you can absorb and like how much time you need to like put into meditation or yoga or like picking up a hobby but I think there is like you need to have some sort of daily news digest I don't think you can just turn out turn off the news for a week for example like if you there are some like realistic implications if you do turn off the news for a day if you lived in New York City and you didn't know that you can't go to this place or this place and suddenly you don't have groceries for a week. That's like a survival thing. You you can't live for that week. So once again, I think encouraging people in a way that makes sense for them, where it's not like so overwhelming, but I get the feelings of like isolation and like fear and whatnot. But for me, if I wasn't knowing what was happening in the world around me, I would feel even more scared. I think when you think about like different times of isolation and different times of just like, fears and like the great depression and the holocaust whatnot those people like did not have access to information so i think we have to be really grateful that you could look anything up on your smartphone right now if you have access to it like when people were in isolation in their homes they really didn't know what was happening around them there are people who thought you know the war, the war is ending. Our economy is not that bad, et cetera. Tomorrow we'll fix it. And so if you have access to no, I think that's um, something people need to be grateful for.
0: Yeah. And for you, what world and political issues are of interest to you and are driving your, your vote personally?
1: For me, I, I think the issues that I vote on, well, I'm going to vote on is climate change. Um, that's been something that I think is a great opportunity for politicians to really think about All systems encompassing together are a few of the things that have shaped my my thinking about climate change because I wasn't someone who was like into science as a kid. I really like failed biology and chemistry. Like I think there's a misnomer that to be involved in like environmental issues, you have to be the environmentalist or you have to be the scientist. I don't think that's true at all. And so I read a book called, um, or I read like Naomi Klein's book called On Fire, which is really good about the Great New Deal specifically. But prior to that, um, I read a book by David Walswells called The Uninhabitable Earth. Um, I remember I read that two years ago while I was in Florida over spring break. And it talks a lot about like the individual ways that we contribute to climate change. But the reason I like the book is that it lays out how every issue is tied to climate change. talking, And I was sitting on a plane going to Florida with my family. And I was like, OK, so I'm on a plane. I'm going and like sitting on this property, which is probably exploiting, you know, marginalized people. And so it's not a way to feel like everything you're doing is bad, because frankly, you couldn't live, like, if you thought that, like, okay, well, I have to take the subway today, or I have to do this, and this is, like, bad, 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 or I use plastic today. Like, that's not a helpful way to think about politics, but for me, that's what made climate change and environmental issues the most pressing issue, because I was like, hey, we can solve our economic issues in this country, the income inequality, we can solve the agricultural problems we're seeing. We can solve, the obviously, the natural disaster response we're seeing, the global health pandemic we're seeing. And so it really helped me, like, think about systemic politics, which is some way that I think my mind about politics has changed. It's become more helpful because once again, it's not like you're individually limited to your vote and if you called your representative, which is kind of the way I was operating for a while. And so I would recommend that book and then the book by Naomi Klein, and then there's another book called Life After Warming, which was really helpful for thinking about, like, what's happened in the U.S. context specifically since the 70s, so it highlights a lot of the ways that, like, the oil industry, fossil fuels, they all knew that climate change was coming in the 70s. There's, like, a lot of documentation of them, like, saying, we need to take action on this, and then suddenly now all these politicians have flipped 180. Everyone's saying, like, no, it's not, it's not a problem, so... That's one way, I think, to look at the ways that like political persuasion can happen in the bad way, but also like thinking about how to reinvigorate that to get people interested in it that may be apathetic towards it. So, yeah, I think the Green New Deal specifically is a policy area that is something that I really am prioritizing in a candidate just because it encompasses universal health care, child care, paid sick leave. It encompasses them all in it. A singular way.
0: And are there any other personal political interests that you feel would resonate with other people of our generation who are interested in getting into politics?
1: Yeah I think coming from a fashion background I still follow a lot of friends who are interested in the conversations around eco-consumerism and fast fashion kind of eliminating that practice. I think that's a really cool entry point to fashion. There's a lot being done there knowing where and then that kind of relates to a broader thing of just consumption on a lot or larger scale. Which I think, if you are thinking about, you know, where your source start, your clothes are sourced from, who's making your clothes, if you're having that conversation in the interest of fashion, that's going to relate to how you consume food, that's going to relate to how you get to places, transportation wise. So I think that's another um, interesting point. And then like I'm vegan, and I think that's a lot of interesting ways to think about climate change with food sourcing again, like what industries you're supporting, do senators and politicians care about this? Like thinking about I think science for me was something that I didn't feel like I had a grasp on just because I'm not interested, like I'm not, you know, good at the sciences and like not a STEM kid. So I felt like I wasn't qualified to talk about it, but we're all impacted by like the environmental impacts and we're all contributing in different ways. So I think those were like cool entry points to think about climate change. like. The food I'm consuming, what clothes I'm wearing, just thinking about like every day, the ways that you get around and like what products you have in your lifestyle is a cool way.
0: And how do you think people who maintain an interest in race and gender politics can find that to be accessible to them and who they're choosing as a, as a candidate?
1: Yeah, I think one thing that uh, the Green New Deal specifically talks about a, a lot is environmental justice, which sounds on its face like just kind of like a buzzword, but it really means thinking about which communities have been hurt the most. Like which communities are having pollution in their backyard? Um, when we're thinking about Flint, Michigan, and like highlighting them as getting more aid than other communities that haven't been suffering, I think that's one way to incorporate racial justice into the response to it. A lot of the practices we do that hurt these communities, I think can be reinvigorated through an environmental lens. And then I think through like a feminist lens about environmentalism is about labor a lot. When women are, have these like low wage jobs, jobs in factories and whatnot, like the the pollution that they're not only being exposed to, but then the wages that they're being subjected to, for example, like paid leave is not separate from climate policy. I think that's one way that like the green new deal by guaranteeing universal health care and paid sick leave and like, employment like that's a really exciting way to think about like all these global systems as together Um, And having women on the front of these conversations, too, because women have been, like, agricultural, like, healers and, and keepers and, like, getting all of this food for communities for decades. And the fact that they are blunt out of the public health response and, like, shut out of these conversations, I think that's one way to think about it through a feminist lens as well.
0: And can you share some resources for beginners to kind of, like, sum this all up of where people can get information that's accessible to them?
1: Yeah, I think, once again, with getting a news digest, I think that's, like, what's accessible to you. One way that I have found the news to be helpful, which a lot of people are probably like, what? You read the news through Twitter? That does not sound helpful. One thing that I did on my personal Twitter is I'm following only journalists and news sources. So it's taken some time. It's probably taken, like, four years to find journalists that I like reading consistently. I almost should make a list. This would be, like, I'm thinking about what I can do during quarantine. A list of, like, journalists and then where they write for and what issues they for Python, I might do this, I'm gonna like make a note of this. Because now I feel like I have a really good understanding of like, okay, Sarah Jones writes for the New Republic and she writes about these issues this person writes about these issues. So I think news takes some time. And I would say with Twitter, I only follow these journalists. And so I'm only getting news sources and it's re- or news like related people, which is really nice because you're getting like validated sources of, ins- of information. You're not just getting like your aunt sharing something on Facebook that like might not be right. <laughs> I don't want to, re- I mean, do, but like I don't want to recommend news sources that I read a lot of, but I read a lot of like The New Republic. I read a lot of Vox, as I said before. I find myself focusing on journalists that cover climate change just because there's not an appetite for a lot of climate coverage. So it's kind of easy to point out, like, who's the climate reporter for, like, one news site. The New Yorker is pretty good with their, like, climate reporting as well. David Walls-Wells writes, he's, like, the editor for, like, their whole climate science section. Some podcasts that I like, I would say Vox's The Weeds, the Ezra Klein show, are both really good ones. Hot Take is one that's all about climate change, which is really interesting. I think people probably, and maybe know, like, the Pod Save America franchise, so that's, like, some former Obama officials. They have a really, I think, for people who aren't, want to know just, like, a re- cap of the weekly news that's a pretty good one because it's like they're very funny they have like ways to you know like make fun of mitch mcconnell in a way that could be like you know like more of a friendly conversation than something so serious the new york times the daily is a good daily podcast i listen to up first by npr and i think once you start to listen to like a lot of news you'll realize what makes sense to you for me like listening to some NPR podcast gets a little bit dry for me, whereas that might be like great car driving conversation for some people.
0: I love the NPR podcast.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like it it depends on who you are. Like I love listening to like this Politico nerdcast. It's called the Political nerdcast because they have like a very strict schedule, how they talk about like this morning on Capitol Hill, this is happening. After lunch break, the Senate's going to reconvene and do this. Whereas like that's probably like way too like technical and nerdy for some people. There's also some really cool podcasts that I think, this is what I'm thinking about, Mark Hyman so he is a like food nutritionist policy type of guy but he he's really interesting in how he shaped my brain about like renewable agriculture and the conversation with climate change he has a book that is on my book list to read called the food fix it's talking about how food policy can be a driving or should be a driving like policy in tangent to climate change so it's really cool to think about like food in a broader context as well and yeah i i write a, like a bi-weekly newsletter where i share a lot of news in a way that i want people to find it accessible so sharing these articles that I read sharing different podcasts different ways to restructure your thinking about politics most of the time it does have some sort of climate change focus but I try to keep it like focusing on what news has been happening for the past two weeks
0: and is there anything else that you'd like to share before we wrap up
1: I think during this time just make sure you are communicating with people in your life once again, about feeling isolated about the news. I think if you're feeling stressed out about something you read about coronavirus and you're scared about like where you're living or if you have symptoms or if like, what's happening in the world about it i think talking to friends and family is something that's been helpful for me just like getting out those fears and even if they validate that like yeah it's kind of scary or this is not good and stuff it's it's just good to have like another person to talk to about it and i think there's interesting ways that people are finding community on social media as well Um, so tap into that i've seen a lot of people go live on instagram a lot of people sharing ways that they are practicing self-care
0: so do
1: whatever works for you, but definitely make sure you're tuning into the news some, some way every day, even mm-hmm. if it's like a two-minute podcast.
0: And where can the listeners find you?
1: My Instagram is my name, so it'll be Kate Glavin. And then my newsletter is published in my blog, which is kateglavin.wordpress.com. My Twitter, which is mostly, I don't really do any hot takes on there, but I tweet some politics stuff. is just my name as well, kateglavin. So those are the main places you can find me. And I love when anyone like DMs me on Instagram. So feel free to do that. And I'll always be able to chat and like share articles and resources that I have too.
0: And you also do really cool Instagram story, little political hot Yeah, just getting
1: into it. They've been fun to go on rants. And I feel like other people are like listening to them. And I'm not just spinning in my own apartment.
0: Yeah, no, it's great. I like it. And it's like relatable and easy to follow. Cool. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was
1: great.